Good morning, everybody. Proving once again that uh, I, I, I really am not good at predicting things. I, I printed 15 copies of the, uh, the handout today because I thought, well, it's Memorial Day weekend and you know, attendance will be light. But uh, this is probably the highest attendance ten, um, session we've had in a month. So thanks be to God. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them, guards them, and remembers them, and, and thinks about these things. The unfolding of your words give light. Your word imparts understanding to the simple. I, we open our mouths and we, we, we pant because we long for your commandments and, and the revelation of your word. Turn to us and be gracious to us, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep our steps steady according to your promise and let no, no sin, no iniquity have dominion over us. Redeem us from, from any oppression that we experience in this world that we may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servants. Teach us your statutes. Our eyes shed streams of tears because people do not know your teaching your law and your gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so just before we get started here, a couple of things. Um, I've been asked to present at a Lutheran Layman League's conference in Chautauqua um, next weekend. Uh, so I'm going to be there for that. And then after that, my family and I are going on vacation for um, a, a couple weeks. And uh, uh, so... Dave Zakrich is going to be here, uh, the Reverend Dr. David Zakrich, um, June 6, 13, and 20. And uh, he is going to teach in here, and he and I talked about what to do, and he said, well, why don't I just do the Psalm of the Day? Because, you know, it's almost like we just ignore the Psalms in terms of how we put our worship services together, and, and it would be good to spend some time focusing on them. And so that's what he's going to do. So the Psalms... Uh, in order of weeks will be Psalm 130 and Psalm 1 and Psalm 124. And I'm, I'm actually kind of excited about this because if you know how I put my, my sermons together, I usually take some time, uh, like in January, and I plan out the whole year. And my wife, you know, she's like, you know, you know, knows when the vacation is, and I, I don't. And, and I have to ask, like, multiple times, when are, when is, I, I don't remember. Um, there's this thing I've heard, it's called a calendar. If you write it on there, you can remember, but I apparently haven't mastered that. Um, but, uh, um, get one on your phone. It, it is on my phone, and it, I still forget. But uh, I plan out the whole year, and, uh, and I was planning on preaching uh, those Sundays on the Psalms. And so I'm kind of excited that he's gonna teach on them instead. That's gonna be even better than what I would have done. And uh, uh, and just to give you a little insight into what's coming for the rest of the summer, when I get back on June 27, I plan to preach on Psalm 30. And, uh, and then July 4th, I'm going to do Psalm 124, 123, excuse me. And then July, through, July 11th through August 29, all of the epistle readings across that time period are going to be from the book of Ephesians. So I'm just going to work our way through the book of Ephesians across the summer. So... Um, 
you know, that's, that's what you, you have to either look forward to or dread in the, the worship services coming up. So, when I started uh, Psalm 5, 1 through 5, I really did figure I was going to finish it in a week. This is week three. And, um, and I think we will finish this little section today. Um, and then uh, um, when I get back, we'll, we'll, we'll press on into the rest of the chapter. Uh, but to, to refresh our memory, um, hey, Becca, are you going to get the, um, the furnaces? Thank you. Uh, Psalm 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by God into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, in verse 5, we, we, we talk through it, something in, in all of the other previous verses, but in verse 5 he says, hope does not put us to shame. And there's this, this nice chain that he puts together starting in verse 3 um, where he says, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And one of the things that, that strikes me um, when I think about hope, and I mentioned this last week, is that I, I think that sometimes hope and faith are hard to tell apart. Um, I, I think that hope is, a, is an attitude that we carry uh, when we have faith. Not that it's always, you know, abundance or, or whatever, um, you know, because we struggle with faith and with hope. Um, I love the prayer in the Gospel of Mark where um, the man's talking with Jesus and, and he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, none of this is easy stuff. But, but hope is kind of that expression, that outward expression of the inward faith. And uh, uh, what we've experienced is that the love of God has been poured out. This is a, an action of the past that continues to impact our presence. You know, when, when God's love is, is poured out on us, um, and it's in our hearts, our inner selves, um, we, we can have this, this hope, not rooted in what we've done, but rooted in what, what God has, has done for us. And uh, this, uh, this past action that continues to impact our present, uh, I think that that's something that's really, really important for us to think about in terms of how we live our faith, particularly in regard to our baptism. I'm looking around the room, and I'm guessing that outside of Mo, uh, all of us were probably baptized as infants. Maybe not Kathy. You know. Okay. But most of us were uh, infants. Don't remember your baptism? Am I, am I right about that? Mike, were you older? Or? So. I was a toddler. Okay. So maybe you have a little bit of uh, something up there, remembering a little bit of it, but... Uh, I think I was 10 days old. And uh, this past moment where, 
you know, were brought into God's family through the water of baptism, I think sometimes we look at that as something that, that that's back then. But it's something that happened back then that continues to be active and impact our lives today. It's a past moment that continues to impact the present. And um, we're going to talk more about baptism in chapter 6, which I think we'll get to in 2024. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, we'll, we need to think about this gift that God has given to us where he's worked in our lives and how it impacts how we live each day. It talks about um, this being something that's in our hearts. Um, I like this, this uh, word uh, when we talk about something being in our heart because um, it, it's talking about the inner self, really, when you get down to it. This hope that we have is in our inner self because of what God has done. And um, when you think about where do you seat the inner self? Where are you, you, like on the inside? I think a lot of times in our, our, our culture today, we tend to think of our heads. Uh, you know, we have kind of this inner monologue that goes, you know, it, you know we have discussions with ourselves as we consider our, our choices and as we think about the things that we believe. Uh, and even, even that statement, we think about the things you know, it's very head-centric. But uh, the ancients didn't, didn't think about themselves in that same way. Uh, uh, they would often talk about things being in their hearts, uh, which is how we often translate a word that means their guts. Uh, the liver was the seat of emotion back in the day. My liver is just full of feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds really weird to us, but back then they would have been like, yeah, yeah I get it, I get it, you know? Um, and uh, when we think about you know, who we are on the inside, I'm gonna get a little bit maybe esoteric here and a little bit away from, um, you know, well, this is what the word says. So I'm a little bit more into, I'm kind of wondering, all right? So if you really disagree with me, Whatever, that's fine. <laughs> you can go completely opposite direction. I, I kind of wonder if this, this interior self is an expression of our souls. And then we try, because we're so physical in our experience of the world, try to place that somewhere. Does this make sense, you know, what I'm wondering about here? Um, you know, so we are a, a, a soul and body in one, you know, uh, and so this is one of the reasons that I really emphasize that in the resurrection we receive a new body. To be human is to be body and soul. We have both. We are both. Um, we, we don't die and become angels. Uh, we, we don't, you know, float around disembodied for the rest of eternity. Or, you know, we look forward to a day when we will rise from the dead and our souls will be reunited with our bodies. And so this, this inner self, this inner experience, which I do think is an important part of our lives, I, I, I wonder if some of that is an expression of our, our, our spiritual being. You know, and how do we, 
how, how do we think about that spiritual part of our lives? How do we feed that spiritual part of our lives? You know, how do we cultivate the, the hope that, that we're talking about here in, in the, the, that, whole, um, that whole idea of, you know, well, I'm suffering. Well, we suffer outwardly, but we also suffer inwardly, don't we? You know, sometimes we have things happen to us, we're up all night thinking about them and just kind of, you know, this, this inner experience that suffering produces endurance. Endurance of the faith that, that we want to build up, you know, our spirit to be built up. Uh, endurance produces character. Well, character is very much an inward expression in an outward way, isn't it? You know, it, it's about, you know, I, I like the phrase that, you know, character is who you are when no one's looking. But it's, it's what's on the inside coming out. Uh, it, it, you know, how you live that life and then character produces hope, this expression of the, the faith that we have um, that in its essence that everything's going to be okay because we're in the Lord's hands and he has saved us and redeemed us and that hope does not put us to shame. And uh, uh, you know, that's what we're doing here, I think. I think we're, we're cultivating some of this uh, that, that God's at work through his word to shape us inwardly for the outward life uh, that's going to be a big focus of what I do with the men's retreat um, in Chautauqua, talking about connecting our worship life and our devotional life. You have actually heard a fair bit of this over the years. Uh, you know, it's kind of my jam. So, um, I, you know, I talk about these things quite a bit. But, uh, um, you know, thinking about who we are inwardly is something that's actually really important. Um, Remembering that we're not just bodies, but we're also, you know, body and spirit. Uh, and one of the reasons that I think that this is really important is what happens when your body is not functioning in a way that allows an outward expression. I'm thinking of people like, you know, with Alzheimer's. Or people who have some kind of a, you know, in a coma or, or whatever else. You know, there are all kinds of things that, that happen. And um, the reality is that there's, there, there's part of you that's still there. And, and, you know, I don't know what that experience is, um, but uh, I know that, I know that when I was on my vicarage, I went and I visited a lady in the nursing home who everybody said was catatonic and she wouldn't respond to me. And I sat down with her and I prayed with her. And when I prayed the Lord's Prayer, she started praying out loud. And like nurses gathered around, like I've never heard her speak. I know that um, there was a, a, a man in my vicarage church that um, he had like everything wrong with your heart that you could possibly have wrong and still live. And um, he had to have quadruple bypass surgery and he was in a coma for like two months. And across those two months we went and we prayed and we sang hymns and, and, you know, and, and he, was, he was completely unresponsive during that time. And yet when he woke up, he was him. 
You know, it's not like, you know, everything was just on hold inside of him. And I often think about that moment of, of, of when, when a person dies. We know uh, that there's still, like, like, brain activity that goes on, you know, for a, a little period of time. And that the last thing that actually people lose is their... Um, they're hearing. You know, and so the idea of when a person dies to continue to proclaim the word of God to them because even though they can't see me, they can't feel me, there is one who acts in an intermediary way. You know, the spirit of God working through the word to strengthen the faith of that spirit to hold on to God's promises. And I, I, think, that, I think that's an important part of our ministry. And then on the other end of life, there are so many people who say, well, you know, um, babies and infants, they, they can't understand the scriptures. They can't, you know, confess their faith outwardly. They can't use these words. I, the Spirit of God can communicate with them. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, you know, I think about, um, I think back to when Chris and I, were, uh, when Ricky, Chris was pregnant with Ricky, I could still sit with her. Um, you know, we're, we're at the seminary for the first, well, really almost the whole, the whole thing. And um, we would sit in, in church and she would sing hymns. And the hymns are God's word, right? She would confess the Apostles' Creed and that's God's word in a different format. The thing that I really dug, though, was like, you know, the Messiah had that huge pipe organ. You remember that? And that thing, and Ricky would be like, yeah, church music. And now he's, you know, studying to be a music teacher. So I'm thinking, yeah, actually, he's not studying to be a music teacher. He is a music teacher. That's so weird. I can't, I can't do that. I, I, I think that the, the, the it's important for us to think about that, that inner person that, that is beyond this physical manifestation, physical expression of who we are. This part, to use you know, those, that little favorite you know, equation, this part's penultimate. The ultimate is yet to come. The spirit, however, is eternal. And we will be us in the resurrection. And that's part of, part of who we are. And we, I think we need to think about you know, that, expert, that, that, that part of our lives that, that is uh, interior. So, in um, Romans chapter 1, verse 5, it, it says you know, that this is through the Spirit who has been given to us. Um, is this another passive statement that the Spirit is given to us? That we didn't reach out and take hold of the Spirit? We didn't choose Him? He, he was given. This is, a, this is all gift. And uh, I would point out that this is the first reference to the Holy Spirit in Romans. And He is mentioned five times in the book. Excuse me. Yeah, five times in the book. This is more than any of the other epistles except Hebrews. Some of them don't mention him at all. Others, you know, one, two, three, obviously, or four. Um, compare that to the book of Acts. 
In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 40 times. This is an important part of, of our life of faith, our interaction with, with God and understanding who He is. And so, when, when I initially wrote this, I thought I was going to be teaching this on Pentecost, by the way. Um, but uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, in, in church today, we're going to make the, 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 our confession of faith through the Athanasian Creed. So, there's a whole lot of, you know, co-eternal, co-equal, and, and all of that fun stuff. But when we think about the Holy Spirit, there are two words in the original languages that we translate as spirit. Uh, in the Hebrew, it is ruach, and in, um, in Greek, it's pneuma. Um, this word might actually be familiar to you, like if you have pneumatic tools, same root. Um, both words have this meaning of, of breath, or wind, obviously spirit, they have a sense of air in motion. One of my, 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 my favorite things, um, when Jesus is risen from the dead and he appears to the disciples in the upper room. Remember this in the Gospel of John, chapter 20? It says that he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It, you know, it's this, this strange movement of God um, in ways that maybe we don't understand. Uh, John chapter 3 is our gospel lesson today. When it says the wind blows where it wants, we don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. This is the word that it uses there. I think that Jesus is making a double entendre there. That he is pushing Nicodemus to this understanding of uh, the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit of the world being something... You know, because there's all this baptismal language and he hasn't, he hasn't instituted baptism yet either. You know, he talks about being born from above and, you know, and Nicodemus is like, what are you even talking about? And Jesus, Jesus says, you know, you're a teacher of Israel, you don't understand these things? This is the simple stuff. You know, I'm like, I'm not sure. You know. He's, he's, he, I think he's pointing to the way that the Spirit works in the world and, and saying, Nicodemus, you don't get it. You don't understand um, the way that God works in this world. Through his spirit, it's this, this, this wild and, and uncontrolled thing. We should be really clear that the Holy Spirit is not merely a New Testament figure. He's very much part of the Old Testament. He is already mentioned in Genesis 1 verse 2, where it says that the earth was formless, or the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's the preferred phrase for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, by the way, is Spirit of God. Fourteen times across the Old Testament, that little phrase comes up. But the phrase Holy Spirit itself is there too. Psalm 51, verse 11. This is the psalm that David wrote after his affair with Bathsheba and after his son from that affair died. He wrote this prayer of confession, uh, and he says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 10 and 11, uh, he, he gets mentioned a couple of times in here, where God speaks through the prophet, saying, 
they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and, their, and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with their, like with their shepherd of, the, of his flock? Where is he who put in them, who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the, the depths like a horse in the desert? They did not stumble. Um, this image of Moses and you know that the Holy Spirit was there with them. I got to think of. Um, the Shekinah, that pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, that this is an expression of the, the presence of God among them, a manifestation of the Spirit at work uh, with them because he's, he's continually there. The Gospels talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, talk about him at Jesus' birth, right? Uh, two accounts. Um, I'll, I'll go with the Luke one first because... Um, Mary is the first one to find out that she was going to have a baby. And uh, um, the angel Gabriel said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? And the one who was born of you will be the Holy One of God. Well, when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, what did he decide he was going to do? He was going to divorce her quietly, right? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. You know, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Um, at Jesus' baptism, this is attested in, in Matthew 3, Mark 3, and Luke 3. Um, what a coincidence that they're all like right there in chapter 3. Uh, but uh, at Jesus' baptism, he goes into the water to be baptized, and the voice speaks from heaven. This is my son. If someone claims you as their son, that's probably your parent, or in this case, you know, the father, right? And it says that the spirit descended in the form of a dove. In fact, uh, John testified uh, that uh, the one that he saw that the spirit would descend upon would be the Christ. You know, and, and so the, the, the spirit is part of that action. I find it fascinating that in, in Mark chapter 3, it records that the Spirit then is the one that drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, this, the Spirit is, is very active in Jesus' ministry. Uh, the Gospels describe, Jesus, or describe the Spirit as the one who calls people to faith. Um, they've got some, uh, some passages there that... Uh, that refer to the unforgivable sin. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Where people were blaspheming Jesus, and, uh, and, and Jesus is kind of like, eh, they're going to do that. People will blaspheme the Son, and, and they're going to be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. That's because if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're rejecting the gift of faith. You know, we, we, we draw that and extrapolate that from other places that the Spirit is the one who gives us this faith. So when, when Jesus says that uh, the person who blasphemes the Spirit, um, it, it basically says that they are rejecting the gift of God 
and the gift of God is forgiveness. So if you're saying, I don't want your forgiveness, then you're not forgiven? So it's not that, you know, I said something bad about the Spirit once and now I'm doomed forever. No, this is really about, you know, rejecting the message of Christ. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who comforts, advocates, and, and helps the church, helps God's people. Um, in, uh, in John chapter 14, Jesus promises the coming of uh, the, the helper, is how the English Standard Version translates it. But the word in Greek is the paraclete. Don't forget the L in the middle. It's not the parakeet. It's the paraclete. All right, um, and uh, uh, para, it's from uh, parakaleo, uh, para, like, um, uh, mm. so paramilitary is a military that ex exists alongside another military. It's not the official military. It's something that's alongside of, okay? Um, parable is a story that's told alongside a truth, you know, so that you can learn something. Um, Kaleo is actually call, you know, the, the idea to, to call alongside. And this is, this is the image of the, the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, that he's one who, who is called alongside, who calls us alongside himself. Uh, and so sometimes this gets translated as the comforter. I like that one a lot. Um, I, I, I love that image that, that he's there to, you know, kind of, you know, deliver God's gifts and, and to console us and all of those things. An advocate is another good translation. I'm just gonna be really honest, I don't like helper. There's nothing wrong with it, um, but uh, um, I, I don't think it grasps that fullness of, uh, uh, of the, the whole consolation and everything else that the Spirit does. And it also says in that passage that he teaches. Um, that he will bring to mind the, the things that I have taught you, you know, and, and bring those things to fullness. Uh, so Jesus even is saying, I, you know, I, I'm teach, I've taught you so much, and there's more for you to learn, and the Holy Spirit's going to be the one that comes to teach that to you. And he's the one who empowers the church to forgive sins. And this passage from John chapter 20 is the one that I cited earlier, where Jesus breathes on the disciples. He says, receive my Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. And so it's the, the Holy Spirit who gives the church the ability to look and to say, your sins are forgiven. You know, so when we have that part of the, uh, the worship service where I stand in front of you and say, you know, as a called ordained servant of the word, you know, I announce to you the grace of God. You know, there are a couple different ways that I say that. You know, I don't stand up there and go, hey, my name's Eric Tritton, and I just want to tell you your sins are forgiven. No, you all prayed to call a pastor, um, and you found me, and much to some of your chagrin, you called me, and uh, uh, I stand up there, and I speak those words because the Holy Spirit is the one who worked through you, to bring me here to speak those words to you, to 
proclaim that forgiveness that Christ has won for us. So there's a weirdness about the Holy Spirit. There's a foreignness about it. There's a wildness about him. Um, when you read through the, the scriptures, there, there's very little that, that like really digs into who is he, what does he do? It's like he's always kind of in the background, you know, just never coming to the foreground. And I think that that's important when we think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring Jesus to us. His focus is on Jesus. He's like, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Look at the cross, look at the empty tomb. Remember what he's done, that's what I'm here for. I'm here, for, here to give you Jesus. But when you look at the verbs that are connected to the Holy Spirit, there's some, some kind of crazy stuff here. So the first time we encounter the Spirit is in Genesis chapter 1, and he's hovering. Okay. The Spirit of God, like, flies? You know, and then we get that kind of connected to, to you know, the, the Spirit being in the form of a dove in you know, Jesus' baptism, and it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm starting to get a picture here, right? But all throughout the scripture, it talks about him filling. He fills people. He fills, you know, what? He comes upon. This is, I think, a, a, an amazing image. So the first time it talks about the Spirit came upon somebody is in Numbers chapter 24, verse 2. And he comes upon Balaam. Do you remember Balaam? Balaam was kind of the scoundrel. He, he was like a prophet for hire. And, and, and he got hired to curse the Israelites. And, and so the, the, this king of Moab, he's afraid of the Israelites because they're a huge number. They've been running over everybody. And you know, he's like, I, I don't want them to, to take over my country. And, you know, I want you, Balaam, to come and to curse them. He's like, I can't say anything that God you know, doesn't give me to say, but, I'll, you know, pay me, I'll come. <laughs> and, and so he, he comes and it says that he steps forward and that the Spirit came upon him and he speaks this glorious blessing on the Israelites. Of course, the king of Moab is not happy at this point. Um, but what, what does that look like? You know, I kind of imagine him standing there and all of a sudden, I mean, there's a different voice come out of his mouth. I, 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 I don't know. Does this sound weird to you? Um, it, it talks about him rushing upon. Uh, this, this was the case of Saul, King Saul, uh, in, in Samuel chapter 11. So, um, if you re remember, Saul was probably the tallest guy in the tribe of Benjamin, and he is the one that God chose to be the first king of Israel. When I start talking about kings of Israel, everybody's like, first king David. Nope, nope. Everybody wants to, like, you know, Saul, you know, put him to the side. Saul's the first king, and he's like this big hero guy. And when David comes along, Saul... He's kind of jealous of, the, of David. God's at work in David. God's doing some amazing things through David. 
and Saul's going to try to kill David. He hunts him and, and throws spears at him. And, and at one point, he's had a confrontation with David and you know, couldn't kill him. And, and David showed him mercy. And it says that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And Saul makes this, these beautiful praises and prophecies regarding how David's going to be a great king. What? It says that he clothes uh, Zechariah, who is going to be uh, a, a priest. You know, that, that this priest, the, the representation of God that he gives is actually in the spirit of God that's upon him. Uh, he makes. In, in Job chapter 30, it talks about he made me. Wait, I thought the Father made me. Oh, except in Colossians, it says that Jesus made everything. But here in Job, it says that the Spirit made. There's one God, right? Um, in the book of Ezekiel, the Holy Spirit lifts up Ezekiel and he brings him in a vision to Jerusalem. In the book of Revelation, John is worshiping on the Lord's day and he was in the spirit when he saw all the weird stuff in that book. Including this vision of the resurrected or the glorified Christ with the sword coming out of his mouth and the white hair and all of that. And the Holy Spirit is, is poured out. In Ezekiel 39, it talks about that. And then in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost, we talk about the Spirit being poured out. I find, it, I find it interesting that several of these verbs, not all of them, but several of them, like, you know, filling, maybe hovering, um, uh, rushing, uh, and, and, and pouring, all have these liquid type of feelings about them. You know, or, or at least, you know, a vapor. And there's this mystery to, to ponder here. And maybe, maybe it seems I'm being a little bit weird about this because I think in our context, we like to, you know, put things in, the, things in these neat boxes and, okay, I understand, I understand, got it. But I think the Spirit defies that. And I think God himself actually defies that, you know, left, right, and center. And I think it's okay to just kind of go, all right, you're God and I'm not. And to be uh, comfortable with the discomfort. And to just kind of ponder the mystery. We used to talk about that more often. Just pondering the mystery. I don't think we like mysteries the way that we used to. We, we want everything explained and, and parsed out for us. And... And he kind of defies that. Not that we don't try. Um, I think that when we start talking about God, the, the, right, the right verb is not that, that we explain God uh, or that we explain the Holy Spirit, but just that we confess 
the Spirit. We, we try to say what God says about himself. We have a statement that we use regularly, you know, in, in the Apostles' Creed to talk about the Holy Spirit. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And pretty much the only thing it says about the Holy Spirit is I believe in him. And then there's all these like after effects that the, where the Holy Spirit is, is working. You know, the church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Um, Luther explains it this way. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept the whole, uh, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. So look at, look at what we, we understand from the scriptures, what he does. He gives faith. He, he calls by the gospel. He doesn't just, you know, whack you upside the head and take hold of you and you know, now you're, he uses means. So the word of God, baptism, Lord's Supper, he calls us by the gospel, he enlightens us with his gifts, sanctified. We'll come back to that word in a moment here. And he also keeps us. He's the one who guards and protects. This is that, that paraclete idea again, where he comes alongside of us. And not only does he do that for you as an individual, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church. There's a connection there. There's a, in, in the Christian life, we have this individual aspect to our life, but we also have this corporate aspect. We, we, we belong together. We're supposed to be together. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. He brings us into community with, with our fellow believers. We, we call that the church. Um, and he keeps it, he keeps the church with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And in this Christian church, you know, this is, this is part of God's plan, that we be church. He daily and richly forgives. That's, that's the work that is to happen here. The Spirit Forgive sins, mine individually, and us corporately. And on the last day, he will raise me and all the dead. And this is, I think, one of the most amazing parts of the work of the Spirit. That on the last day, he is the one who raises the dead to give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. So the key word that we usually think of with the Holy Spirit is sanctification. Sanctification comes to us from the Latin meaning to make something holy. Um, in the communion liturgy, uh, we have a song that's called the Sanctus. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? Sanctification is understood in a broad sense and in a narrow sense. 
In the broad sense, sanctification means that we become holy. So the Holy Spirit delivers Jesus' holiness that we receive by faith. Sometimes we call that justification. We call it the forgiveness of sins. You know, I'm, 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 my standing before God is that I am holy because of Christ. So that's one way that we use this word sanctification. But we also tend to use it in, in a more specific way, a narrower way, talking about how we live godly lives. So sometimes, um, you know, if I get really upset about something, which I know you can't imagine that, um, but uh, if I get kind of sideways, uh, I'm like, this is really bad for my sanctification. What I mean is, you know, my words, my attitudes, and my actions are not very holy in the moment. You know, and, and that's what this is saying, is that the Holy Spirit will work in us to guide us to live godly lives here in time. It's not just, you know, I, I'm going to trust Jesus and someday I'm going to die and go to heaven and it doesn't matter what I do in this life. What we do in this life does matter. And the Spirit is working on us to guide us to live holy lives. Our hope is in that first part of sanctification, that he makes us holy, declares us holy in Jesus. But then he starts, starts working, shaping our attitudes. The, the, the first thing that he changes Who's your God? You know, I hear people say, well, that person doesn't act very Christian. Usually meaning that, you know, they're foul-mouthed or they drink or they smoke or, or something along those lines. But the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods. I'll tell you what, that's a pretty significant shift that takes, in, takes place in your life. If you're worshiping something else, and then in faith you come to faith in the one true God, and I'm going to put my hope and trust in Him instead of in whatever else. So be careful when we look at somebody from the outside and say they don't act very Christian. We don't know what's going on on the inside there and what's being shaped and where the Spirit is working in them. The Holy Spirit works in and through us as individuals. Remember what I was saying when I was talking about the explanation to the, uh, the third article there. There's an individual and a corporate aspect. And in that individual experience, there's the stuff that he is doing in us and to us, shaping us, delivering forgiveness to you, you know, helping you to be more patient or, or to be more loving and all of these kinds of things. But through you, he will declare the gospel to others. He will show God's love to others. He works in and through you. And in the same vein, he works in and through us, the church. He connects us to the church, the body of Christ, because together, you know, there's a lot more that we can do than when we're alone. You know, he, he makes us part of this family together, uh, and, and we are the body of Christ. And it's here that he delivers forgiveness through the word, through absolution, through the sacraments. And, and I want you to notice something. You know, I started with the word, 
Absolution is that moment when I speak forgiveness to you, so I'm using words, right? And we talk about this from time to time with baptism and the Lord's Supper. Just plain water until the Word of God is there. Just cheap bread and bad wine until the Word of God is spoken. So the whole thing is really all about where the Spirit is working through the Word in these different contexts. And He raises the dead. And this is not not a metaphor. We're talking about actually raising uh, from the dead. There's a beautiful little church uh, where I grew up, um, Trinity Lutheran Church in Norwalk, Michigan. That's where Mark got married. Uh, it's this little tiny place, and uh, my family is is connected to that church in, in Trinity Onekama, Michigan. They're they're a two point parish, so one pastor serves the two congregations. One of the biggest differences between the two churches, however, is that Norwalk has a cemetery. And maybe you've seen this, where a church has the cemetery just outside and you look right out the windows and there are the saints who have gone before. Uh, I, I, I actually kind of dig this. I like that idea that, uh, you know, these are those who have gone before us and they're waiting for the resurrection. And I don't think that you all can see it from where you sit in the church but where I stand, I can see the columbarium. And I think that that is actually a good thing uh, to remember that those who die in Christ are not dead, but they are waiting for the resurrection. Uh, I have two models here of the Trinity. I'm willing to bet that the one on the left is the one that you're most familiar with. This is the one you probably saw in confirmation class. Uh, back in the day. This is, this is really the Athanasian Creed uh, in, in a, a visual format, at least the first half of the Athanasian Creed. There's also what we call an economic model uh, of the, uh, the Trinity, talking about how the Trinity works. And, and so it imagines it kind of like, like this. Uh, you see, we got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we got arrows that are going down and arrows that are going up. So starting with the arrows that are going down, the Father begets the Son, and the Father and the Son together, well, the Son breathes the, the Holy Spirit, but the Father and the Son, you know, they, they, they distribute the Spirit to people. The Spirit then bestows faith in the Son, in people, so that the Son might bring us to God, reconcile us to Him. And when Jesus starts talking in the Gospel of John about the Father is greater than I and all of those kinds of things, this is the model that he's talking about. These are both true. You know, the Father, the Son, the Holy, they're co-equal, co-eternal, co-everything else. You know, one is not greater than the other and all of these things. But the way that they operate is from the Father to the Son to the Spirit to us to bring us back to God. And that's, that's what you're hearing when, when Jesus talks about the one who sent me and, and, and all of these things. You know, and, and he is greater than I. It's this economic type of a model where the Father uh, is engaged to bring salvation to us through his Son. The Spirit breathed upon us in, in order to bring that salvation to us. And again, these images of, of pouring and giving of the Holy Spirit, it's especially for, for, for us as, as Lutherans, as sacramental Christians, um, 
it, it really brings baptismal images to mind. It's, it's very baptismal types of languages. Um, and, and baptism is part of who we are as Christians. It's essential. I'm not saying that if you're not baptized, you can't be saved. I am saying that if you come to faith, baptism is supposed to be part of who we are. This is part of what God commands, and it's part of where he gives his gifts. It is a key part of our life of faith. So in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you've got those words of institution for baptism there. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So to make disciples, you have, it's a binary process. It's baptizing and teaching. Doesn't matter which comes first, you know, but both are part of the process. I would also point out uh, in Acts chapter 10, we read this a few weeks ago, that uh, uh, the account where Peter was visiting with Cornelius and, and the Gentiles were there, they heard the gospel and they came to faith. You know, it says that Peter commanded that they be baptized. Again, he doesn't, you know, hey, this is cool, you're a Christian town, would you like to be baptized? So, no, you have faith, they need to be baptized, get them baptized. You know, you know so this, this isn't an add-on, it's not an extra, it's, it's key to, to who we are. One of the passages that people will often point to, um, to say that baptism's not necessary is Mark 16, 16 that says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved and you know, he who does not believe will be um, condemned. You know, and they're like, did I get that right? He who believes and is baptized. Yeah, he who does not believe will be condemned. So people are like, well, see, it says if you don't believe, then you're condemned. So what you need is to believe and then you'll be saved. I think the right answer is if you believe, you will be baptized. Because Jesus has said, be baptized. Um, I've had that conversation with folks who've been Christians their whole lives, but that for whatever reason, they don't want to be baptized. Like, Jesus said, be baptized. Where? Well, and we're going to dig more into that in, in, Mark, or in chapter 6. So, uh, I, this one, I, I, I often call it homework. I didn't call it homework this time, but... Uh, um, you know, that's just mostly tongue-in-cheek, but if you want to dig more deeply into this, in the back section of your, your small catechism, uh, there's a part that says explanations of the small catechism. <laughs> this part is the actual small catechism. The rest of this is added on. It's Bible verses and, and explanatory uh, stuff. Uh, so I encourage you to take a look at, at that that explanation part, and see the Bible verses that talk about the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Read the section in Luther's large catechism on the, on the third article of the Apostles' Creed, which is twice as long as what he talks about when he talks about Jesus, which is fascinating. You know, because when you look at the Creed, a little bit about the Father, a whole bunch about Jesus and a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And he writes more about the Holy Spirit than he writes about Jesus. It's good stuff. And um, the Acts of the Apostles. Nowhere else you're going to find more about the Holy Spirit. 
and look for being connected to prayer, witnessing miracles, persecution, and growth of the church. So I ran us over. I'm sorry. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here to study your word and to spend some time thinking about your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would come to us, that you'd rush upon us, that he would come upon us, that he would hover in our lives, that he would dwell within us in order to give and strengthen our faith and, uh, and to keep us in you. Through Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody.